I'm Jack Kennedy, and we're here to bring you the latest in MMA. My name is Hunter Boss, and what the boss says goes. What is up, everyone? My name is Keaton McNamara, and you already know what time it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MMA Island Podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Kayla McNamara and Hunter Boss. We have another great episode with you. Let's go ahead and get started with the news. We are talking about Kevin Lee, who was maybe a little bit surprisingly cut by the UFC. Uh, what's the aftermath of this? Kevin Lee can't fit into anything anymore in the UFC. It's it's a sad day. Uh, Kevin Lee being cut. Hunter, what, what do you make of it? Uh. Yeah, it's a sad day, but it's not like heartbreaking. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this man consistently misses weight and no one knows where he belongs and he's asking for a lot of money and there's so much he wants, but he's not winning to get the results. I mean, he's is the former interim lightweight challenger, but I mean, other than that, I mean, it's sad cuz he's so young. You know, he's like 29 yeah. still, which I would still like to see more Kevin Lee, so Maybe he can go to a different organization, Bellator maybe, be with his brother, uh, work at it. Maybe he can be go back to the UFC later if he gets some wins under his belt again. But, I mean, it's not the wrong idea from the UFC. It's it's time to start giving some of those new blood some chances. And if the old blood's not going to want to cooperate, then simply cut it. Yeah, um, I have to be honest. I'm very much on the same page as Hunter here. Um you know, it it genuinely does turn out that Kevin Lee does not fit into this. And, you know, as, as much as we could be funny about this, ever since Kevin Lee lost to Tony Ferguson for the interim lightweight title, he genuinely has never really fitted in anywhere. And that's the weirdest thing. Um, you know, like Hunter said, with the greatest of respect to the guy, he consistently misses weight. When he goes down to 155, he can't make weight. When he goes up to 170... You know, he's arguably not big enough to fight the guys up there. And there's always excuses after excuses after excuses as well, which being me, I'm not a fan of. Um, I have to be honest, this is not a surprising move to me at all. The only reason this is surprising to me is that Kevin Lee's popular because he's a meme. And that's the only reason this is surprising to anyone, because they know the name Kevin Lee and they've seen that he's cut. To be honest with you, that's all that's surprising about me to this. You know, the guy has consistently struggled for form. He'll get a win. He'll get like a vicious head kick knockout over Keith Gillespie. And then he'll get dominated by Charles Oliveira. You know, uh, I mean, there's only so much leeway you can give people in terms of opportunity, in terms of development. And if they don't take that, then at the end of the day, that's on them. And like Hunter said, and I think Hunter's made another excellent point there as well, all this young blood coming up through the division, you know, Islam Makachev is probably the first of the next generation of lightweight coming through. If you can't get it together, then that's, again, that's on you because these young guys are coming through and they're gunning for the top. And if you can't get on top and you can't get your game together, then unfortunately you're just going to get mauled by everyone. 
even adding to that, you know, the constant ridiculous demands for more money when you're not even the B side of whatever fight you're in, it all adds up to me, if I'm honest, when we break this down, it makes a lot of sense that he's cut. Um, I don't, I never like seeing anyone being cut because obviously they go in, they fight and it's their livelihood. But if we're talking in terms of merit, does he still deserve to be there? Probably not. Yeah, I like that breakdown a lot. And I'll start off where Keelan was kind of leaving off on. There is a co-main event on this next upcoming fight night, uh, December 4th, which is between two lightweight contenders, between Rafael Fizayev and Brad Riddell, who are two young guys, both 10 and 1, young contenders in the UFC in that lightweight division. Just as to your point, that that is a high-level fight, and those guys aren't even ranked. Or if they are ranked, they're very ranked low. Kevin Lee has really not won. He's been fighting at welterweight. He's been missing weight at lightweight. Welterweight, he's way too small to be at welterweight, and he can't compete with those guys, especially uh, you know at the higher up whenever he wants to be fighting. It's just I, it makes sense that he got cut, if we're being honest. Um, all things put together, all right? Let's look at uh, – so – Lost to Tony Ferguson, right? So before all of this, he is on an absolute tear. Kevin Lee is looking like he's going to be the next big thing. He's looking like he's championship material. He gets to that interim championship fight against Tony Ferguson, gets beat by Tony Ferguson, as everyone did, because that was Tony Ferguson in his best. Um, then he fights Edson Barbosa, and that was the uh, you know doctor stoppage cut thing. Um, and then loses to Ally Aquenta, which Ally Aquenta is a great fighter, but should Kevin Lee be beating yeah. Ally Aquinta? He should absolutely be beating Ally Aquinta, but lost. Loses to Rafael Desanjos. Then he beats Gregor Gillespie. And there's a lot of time gap in between this whole thing as well. This is not like, oh, he's fighting three times a year. No, this is a two, three-year span. Uh, Gregor Gillespie, 244. Look, if we look back at that fight and we're being honest and being, and being uh, you know fair about it, Gregor Gillespie is winning that fight up until the head kick. Uh, the head kick was beautifully landed and there's nothing lucky about it. It was time to perfection by Kevin Lee. It was absolutely a, a thing, but he was not winning that fight. If he didn't land that leg kick, there's a great chance that Gregor Gillespie is still undefeated as we're speaking right now. Um, look, then he's like, okay, so then he beats Gregor Gillespie and then it's like, oh, Kevin Lee's back, right? He went on a two, two fight losing streak. He took a lot of time off. He's back. Then he loses to Charles Oliveira. We can write that one off a little bit, all right? Charles Oliveira is Charles Oliveira. He's going to strangle anybody. But then his last fight was Daniel Rodriguez, where he lost by decision up at welterweight because he can't make weight at 155. So you look at that ever since losing to Tony Ferguson, his only two wins have been a, a, a cut that stopped Edson Barbosa and uh, the head kick against Gregor Gillespie. And other than that, it's all losses and all pretty dominant losses. Look, Kevin Lee is very entertaining. Um but you got to be winning fights, especially in the UFC. You got to be making a name for yourself and keep building that brand. And Keelan, you honestly, you're you're right. The biggest thing has been where does Kevin Lee fit in? That's been the meme. Is it, it's been uh you know or or the meme about him getting rocked by Edson Barboza and doing the, the chicken dance thing. Uh, that's been what Kevin Lee has unfortunately been known for. He's really tried. I, I really do think he's he's tried to turn his career around. He went to try started to train and everything like that, but. There's some fighters, and honestly, we could have considered them for this list we did on the last podcast uh, where we talked about fighters that had one loss that just impacted their career so much that they just weren't able to recover. Kevin Lee is probably one of those – not even probably – is one of those fighters we can say now. Lost to Tony Ferguson, really, his confidence and just ability in himself, I don't think ever really recovered. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I have to agree with you. One point I'll just make really quickly um, on the main point, because I actually think for Kevin Lee, it is genuinely relevant to bring this up here. Being a meme is not necessarily a bad thing if you can back up everything and you're on an absolute tear. We've seen a lot of guys do it very successfully, actually. The problem is when you get perhaps a bit too big for your own boots and then you're a meme after a loss and then you're trying to recover your ego and you never get it back, that's when you're only known as a meme and that's when you should be cut. Tyron Woodley is the perfect example. He is the template for this meme-wise you know, um, he released this rap album, this song um, about beating people's asses, whatever it was. Oh, and then he and then it completely lost focus, was too obsessed with being a meme and then got mauled every remaining fight that he had in the UFC. Embracing internet culture is not a bad thing. In fact, that's probably what will build your following. But what so many people like Kevin Lee are forgetting is that that has to be matched and backed up in the octagon. One without the other is nothing. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with you 100%. It makes sense that he's cut. Uh, unfortunate to see him leave the UFC, but I don't disagree with it. Well, let's move on to the best of the best. And today we're talking about two fights that got booked, two very big fights that got booked. And this is going to be a very interesting conversation we're about to have. Which fight are we more interested in seeing? Islam Makachev versus Benil Dariush or our favorite fighter, Alexander Rakic? versus Jan Blahovic. Hunter, what do you think? Hmm, this is a tough one. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Islam Makhachev versus Benil Dariush for the reason why one of them's on a seven-fight win streak, the other one's on a nine-fight win yeah. streak. And they're both probably two of the top uh, wrestlers of their division. So it's going to be a fun grappling match, as well as I'm sure we'll see some striking mix in, mixed in because I'm sure neither of the fighters want to go down to the ground with each other. And if they do, I think the fight will probably it's, – it's going to be dominant one way or another on the ground. I think Makhachev's probably the better wrestler, but Dariush is probably the better striker. So it's the uh, give or trade for me. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun fight. It's not that I don't think the Yon fight will be fun. Actually, that's not true. I don't think the Yon <laughs> fight will be fun. It's Alexander Rakic. Um, <laughs> I think Rakic will try to outpoint Jan, which means he's going to go in, he's going to hit him with the with a teep kick, and then he's going to run away. He's going to go in, he's going to hit him with a leg kick, and then he's going to run away. But as soon as Jan gets that Polish power on Rakic, he's going to start making him rethink his whole game plan in the UFC for point fighting. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not that I'm – I love watching Jan Blahovic fight. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give him that, but that's about it. You know, that's the only – reason I'm looking forward to the fight. I, I would much rather see Anthony Smith, Jan Blahovich, or even Magomed Ankulayev, uh, Jan Blahovich be more fun in my opinion, just because we all know our opinions on Rakic. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I think Islam Makachev and Benil Dariush, they'll be the more fun fight to watch. There's probably more at stake in that fight as well. Uh, it's just going to be a good fight all around. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie to anybody, and I'm not going to work my way around this. It is Islam Makhachev and Benil Dariush. I don't think you'll actually find that many people saying different either. Hunter made a, a really good point there. You know our opinions on Alexander Rakic. I'm not going to go into that much more because we're probably on the verge of running out of ways to body the per man. So we'll leave that where it is. But... We're not running out. We're not running out. <laughs> Maybe <started>. you're not. <laughs> 
Well, um, I'll I'll actually get on to that fight in a minute. I want to talk about Makachev and Darius first because the spotlight of the UFC is on lightweight right now, firmly and entirely. I mean, we've talked about welterweight, we've talked about bantamweight before. The spotlight is on the 155-pound division because things are working out really interestingly. And this fight is a big, big part of that puzzle. Um, Like Hunter said, he's absolutely correct. You know, seven-fight win streak versus nine-fight win streak. Someone's streak has to end. You know, the Undertaker's never should have, but someone's win streak is going to end here. And this is a much more even fight than people think this is going to be. You know, uh, to be honest with you, I understand the hype around the Dagestani fighters. They've come in, they've dominated. Their wrestling's been on a different level. But Benito Dariush is a very good wrestler and an even better jiu-jitsu practitioner as well. And realistically, I don't think Islam Makachev has faced as good a wrestler as he will face in Benito Dariush. This is what I call, this is the chapter of Lightweight that I call the litmus test of Islam Makachev, because that's what I think this is going to be. I think if he can get past Benil Dariush, then the hype train is very real. And then I think you are absolutely entitled to get on board it and stay on it. The reason I wouldn't say to be on it just yet is with Dan Hooker, that was a late notice fight. And with respect to Dan Hooker, he's had no traction at lightweight. He doesn't have any momentum. And the worst fighter to try and go in and get momentum against is a fighter who was on a then eight-fight win streak. So I think the immediate implications of this fight are astronomical for the title picture. And that's why it's probably the fight that all three of us want to see the most. Now, going on to Jan and uh, Alexander Rakic for a second, it... Like every, every fight is a bit like a dance partnership. It takes two to tango. And I have absolutely no problem with one of the partners in Jan Blachowicz because he comes to bring it every single fight, whether that was the Glover Teixeira fight, the Adesanya fight, the Rockhold fight, any fight from his career, he comes to bring it. My problem is that Rakic doesn't. And, you know, Hunter, I appreciate the, the path you were going down with this. And whilst it is semi-humorous, there is a lot of truth to it as well. Rakic recently has been too content to point fight. Teak kick, run away. Side kick, run away. Straight shot, run away. And especially against a fighter like Thiago Santos, who has pretty much no legs anymore, it's completely unacceptable. You know, humor or not, you can't do that. What makes me more excited about this fight is that Jan will bring the fight to him and he won't be able to run around the octagon for 15 minutes, which is at least good. But I just have a feeling Rakic is going to dull this fight and he's going to dull the hype, and that's why I'm not excited for it. Now, can he prove us wrong? Technically, yes, because he has the ability to. I just don't think he's going to do that. So for me right now, far and away, no question whatsoever, Benil Darius and Islam Makachev is the fight I'm more excited for, for pretty much every reason I'm not excited for the Yam fight. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I mean, no surprise, I agree with you guys. Um, Makachev versus Benil Darius is fascinating because you have Makachev who is considered the next Habib, right? He's coming up and everything like this. And now he's finally here. He's finally at the helm of where the title shot is. Title shot controversy is over. It wasn't really much controversy to begin with because we knew the simplest way to do it. Give Gaethje the title shot, make this fight. And they made this fight. I'm also excited for both of this one and, and the Jan and Rockish fight because they're both going to be fight night main events 
five rounds, headliners for the next shot at the title, the next logical step for who gets the belt uh, or shot at the belt next, right? Um, look, Benil Dariush, it's insane that he's in this position it, for me personally because it's like you're looking at this whole lightweight division and it's like, whoa, Benil Dariush is ranked third. How did this happen? It's just he, he went under all of our radar and snuck up there. I never considered Benil Dariush, much like Charles Oliveira, I never considered Benil Dariush a legitimate threat at any division at any point in his career. I really I didn't. Think I, saw, did. I always thought it was just like, oh, he's a solid prelim fighter. Like that, he's, he's a fun watch, solid prelim fighter. He'll bring the fight. Dude's on a seven fight win streak and, and just beat Tony Ferguson. He's in that third third position and he's there. Makachev, what makes this fight fascinating. You know, I am favoring Makachev pretty heavily, but Benil Dariush has a very good jujitsu game off of his back. Um, he, he dominated uh, Tony Ferguson on the ground that, that same way. And that's how he beat him. So Makachev, I think will have, less ease if he goes for the submission route on, on on taking him down. I think he'll have to choose the more mauling method if he wants to get the finish than getting submission over Benil Dariush. And Hunter, I agree with you. I think Benil has the striking advantage by quite a bit, and he has power, as we've seen in some of his knockouts before. It's going to be a fascinating matchup that I'm very excited to see. And obviously, that lightweight division, what's better than it right now? I don't think any other division is better than lightweight. I think it's been the best division for years, and it's the it's the premier division in the UFC if we if we're using that word. I mean, you look at it, it's just Connor at 155 kind of opened it after Alvarez. I think that Alvarez fight is what started the takeover of lightweight. Then Habib is the champion. Now all of the other chaos is going on. It gets the most eyes, it gets the most pay-per-view buys, and this fight night main event between Islam Makachev and uh Benil Dariush is going to deliver and I'm very excited for it. On to Jan Blahovich versus Alexander Rakic now, right? So, um you guys nailed this one quite a bit. Uh, early, 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 early prediction, and I hope I'm wrong. But Jan Blahovic losing to uh, Glover Teixeira, I really think his ground game is better than than what he showed there, uh, because we've seen, we saw it, we literally saw it against Israel Adesanya. I was able to dominate him on the ground and everything like that. Rockage, if he's going to win this fight, is not going to be by out grappling Jan Blahovic because he can't do that. Glover Teixeira has proved that he is at that. Next level, championship level. He's the champion with that ground game and that, that grappling. One, Rockage just isn't known for that. And two, what we saw against Jan Blahovich, I really don't think that's, that is his true extent of his ground game against uh, Glover Teixeira. Um, I really think Jan actually has the advantage in the grappling heavily over Rockage. But the problem is Rockage has developed his great point, back away, point, back away, land four punches per round, get the decision. Um I think he, I, I really, I'm worried Jan Blahovich is not going to be in the right mindset for this fight uh, and, and maybe won't be going as, as energetic and as forward as he should. And Rakage might just coast away like we've seen in his past three or four fights. I'm very terrified that that is the potential that we'll have. Do I think on paper, uh, Jan Blahovich? If he's fighting at that that Israel Adesanya, at that uh, Dominic Reyes, at that Corey Anderson um, version of himself, should get the win? Absolutely, I do, yes. But what I'm worried about is, and we've seen him so many times, it's very rare that a champion who loses his belt and immediately goes right back in facing a top contender gets a win and, and jumps right back. It's very rare that we see that. So I am worried that Rockage will... Um, do what Rockage has been doing lately. Now, that being said, 
this fight has all the potential in the world, just like any Rockets fight does. It has all the potential in the world. Rockets versus Anthony Smith should have been fantastic. Rockets versus Tiago Santos should have been fantastic. Jan Blachowicz, I can't remember the last time I've seen him in a boring fight. However, this fight has that potential just because I'm worried that Rockets will take advantage of the mindset of Jan Blachowicz um, and, and get the win. But that being said, you know, we'll see what happens. And these are both stakes wise, fantastic matchups and matchups that you have to watch because it's literally for the next title shot and it's going to be fight nights and very exciting stuff in the UFC. So let's go ahead and move on to the discussion of the week. And this week we are talking Bryce Mitchell who just released a mixtape, by the way. It's, I mean, it's fire. there. You it's can fire. do it. The, the lyrics, it just hits the heart. Fire. It hits home. It does. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, can you be the next thing at 145 facing Edson Barbosa Hunter? What do you think? He can be. He definitely can be. This is why I, I've talked about him in the, one of the previous podcasts, talking about how I think he's the dark horse, the featherweight division. This is because of his scrappiness. Now, he is a very scrappy fighter. If you watched him on the Ultimate Fighter, he was back on, I think, two seasons ago. Uh, it was a really fun season, but you could tell how scrappy he was. You know, he, he loves rolling around on the ground. He's a fantastic wrestler. Great Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But when you combine scrappiness, scrappiness with technique, you get Tony Ferguson. So he's going to be, in my eyes, here's a bold prediction, the Tony Ferguson of the featherweight division. Ooh. Now, he has to talk. Now, we, everyone loves to hear him on the mic. Um, he's got some amazing camo shorts, which I don't know if they'll renew for this Venom deal, they but they're better. They they're better. That's all oh, they got they oh, So sad. So sad. But um, Bryce Mitchell, you know, his ground game, second to none in the featherweight division right now. I mean, he has the second ever twister in the UFC, <laughs> only uh, behind uh, the Korean zombie, as well as his striking game is not bad. I mean, we mostly only see him on the ground, but – Every single UFC fight, the fight starts on the feet. So when he did start on the feet, his strikes are he, – he's great with picking his strikes because every single strike is there to kind of set up the takedown. You know, you'll see every single strike he throws, either right hand into the takedown, jab, 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 body, jab, out of the, uh, jab to the head, jab to the body, jab to the head again, then go for the takedown. He's got so many different combinations that he has, which will be used in this fight coming up. And honestly – it's just going to be a really fun fight all around. Edson Barboza, you can't go wrong with an Edson Barboza fight, especially when you're supposedly facing on the Tony Ferguson of the featherweight division. So this fight right here, it's going to be beautiful. That's a big prediction, but I like it a lot. I think it's a very apt comparison, actually. Um, yeah, I like Bryce Mitchell a lot. I mean, I know we all like Bryce Mitchell, but I am a big fan of the guy. I think he's a really, really talented kid on the ground, like you said. The perfect adjective to describe to describe Bryce Mitchell is scrappiness. There is no better word to describe him. You know, really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu, excellent, excellent wrestling. You know, and I haven't even talked about his burgeoning music career yet. I mean, Tyron Woodley, take notes from this guy. This is how you do both, okay? Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, and I do believe in him. I certainly think he can go very far in this featherweight division. Unfortunately for him, though, there is one problem. In fact, there's one glaring problem, and Hunter's already mentioned it. He is in a division full of sharks, which happen to be excellent strikers. And I mean excellent strikers, Muay Thai, kickboxing, boxers, really, really good, the best of the best when it comes to striking. And the thing is, being able to box, 
or kickbox to set up a takedown is all well and good. But trying to kickbox with a kickboxer with a Muay Thai striker is a completely different prospect altogether. Like, for example, he will not be able to do that against a Yaya Rodriguez or a Max Holloway or perhaps even an Edson Barbosa. The thing is, if you're fighting a wrestler whose stand-up is not fantastic, then his plan works perfectly, and it literally has worked perfectly so far. The problem is you have to be able to do more than just one jab, one hook, and a double leg. Don't get me wrong, he does it excellently, but you have to have more versatility to your game. And this is why I've always been such a big fan of Edson Barbosa. He's fought some of the toughest wrestlers that he ever could have faced. He faced Khabib, for the love of God, at lightweight. The guy knows his way around wrestlers. All right, Khabib's different. That's a write-off for anybody who fought him. But, you know, Edson Barbosa knows how to use his uh, kickboxing and his Muay Thai to adjust to a wrestling style. So, again... In the same vein that Benil Darius is the litmus test for Islam Makachev, I actually think Edson Barbosa is going to be the litmus test for Bryce Mitchell as well, because this is a very clear step up in quality of featherweight for Bryce Mitchell. If he comes through this, color me really impressed, more so than I already am. But this is not going to be easy for Bryce. He's a tough country boy and he's proud of it. He's scrappy. He's tough. But Edson Barbosa is one of the best pure strikers we have ever seen. And I am deeply curious to see how Bryce deals with that fact. So can he go far? Absolutely. There is no question to the limits of this guy's talent. Will he? That we find out on Saturday night. Yeah, it is very interesting. And I love this question. Um, For me, I think the answer is absolutely yes. I think so. For me, it's more than just his skills and everything like that. I think it's just what he does on the mic every single time. It's so unique. It's not like trash talk or anything like that. It's like, give me my camo shorts. It's it's saying something completely unique and weird and something. I love it. That Tony Ferguson's a great consp- a comparison, but I honestly think he's, and this is so cliche, but the first Bryce Mitchell, I, I, I really think he is going out there, doing his own thing, creating his own style. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot in this Edson Barbosa fight, that'll help further this question if he's legit or not. I'm not saying he necessarily has to win, but if he gets out there and just completely outclassed, we'll know he's not ready near yet. But if he goes out there and competes, even if he doesn't win, um, I think this guy's legit. I think he can really climb the ranks and uh, he'll put on a show. He's very exciting. Uh, He's doing all these weird commercials, doing mixtapes on the side and everything like that. I love it. Um, Yeah, I, I think this division is so tough and it has is full of guys that are going to be there forever and young prospects. I'm just thinking if Bryce Mitchell really develops his game and we haven't seen him fight in a little bit, but if he goes out there and puts on a show against Edson Barbosa, look, he could really, he could jump right in and, and enter the sharks. He's, he's on that verge. Edson Barbosa is the first shark beats him. He's in the game. Uh, and then once, once he's in that 145 division, look, 145, 155, 170, that whole, you're stuck in there. You're, you're trapped in that range. Even 135, if we're being honest. Um, it's, it's a tough way to go. But if anyone – look, Bryce Mitchell, I wish, all, wish him all the best, and I would love to see him go up there because he has the charisma to match his, his fighting ability. And so, yeah, I think he could become a major star. I'm just thinking in my mind, UFC, I don't know, 310, 315. What if it's like a Giga Chikadze versus Bryce Mitchell for the featherweight title or something like that? 
and it's like a pure striker versus grappler matchup. You know, I just hope they don't match those two up too soon. You know what I'm saying? Like, but hey, featherweight division is so stacked right now and everything like that. I would love to see Bryce Mitchell take that first step to becoming a superstar at uh, UFC's featherweight division. Yeah, no, I agree. And guys, let me let me explain something about Bryce Mitchell if you guys are not very familiar with him. Um, we we kept saying this entire episode. He's a he's a good wrestler. He's a great wrestler, but. There's a difference between wrestling and chasing for that submission, you know? 100%. Bryce Mitchell yeah. isn't out there just trying to trying to lay on top of his opponent and get the win because he's he's not really doing anything, but he still is winning in position. No. Every single second he's on the ground with someone, he is chasing for submission. He's going for submission, 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 ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound, submission, submission, submission. Just look at his last fight. I think there are around three or four submission attempts until he finally finishes opponent. I mean – Bryce Mitchell is a fantastically fun uh, round uh, fighter. We don't see a lot of those, sadly, in the UFC anymore. But right now, Bryce Mitchell, I'd say, um, is the most exciting ground fighter in the featherweight division, I would say. I I can't really think of anyone even above him or even below him that can even match his level of of excitingness when he hits the the mat. So Bryce Mitchell, you guys have to tune in. And especially if that's not a good enough reason – when he gets on the mic, it's always a show. This guy is like Chael Sonnen plus Conor McGregor plus Tony Ferguson because you have no idea what this guy's going to say, but you know you're going to love it or hate it if you're Conor McGregor. But mostly if you're Chael, you're he hasn't reached it. that. He hasn't reached that level yet. He's, he's yeah, still no, on no one hates Bryce. Please Richard. don't reach that level. Everyone <laughs> loves Bryce. Everyone loves Bryce. So yeah. hopefully we can stick on that Bryce uh, hype train. Yeah, um, I think you made some really great points, sir, and I agree with all of them. Um, like I said, I really believe in Bryce Mitchell, and I certainly think he can take it to the top. There is no question of this. My only concern is his standing game. His ground game I'm never going to have an issue with, because like you said, Bryce Mitchell is like an attack dog. He's, his nickname should really be Pitbull instead of Thug Nasty, because that's exactly what he's like on the ground. He mauls you, and he keeps going until he finishes the job. Probably a bit of a terrible description to use. So I do apologize if you've ever been. Oh, it's a good description. I just like Thug Nasty too much. Thug that's, Nasty that's just for change. I mean, that yeah. is Bryce Mitchell is Thug yeah. Nasty. I mean, it's just probably the worst nickname you'll ever hear in your entire <laughs> life, but it just fits him. And yet it works. Yeah, but that's exactly. the superhero alter ego Thug Nasty. <laughs> it, only, just... it only works for him, which is why it's so it perfect. It's weird because you think of Rose Namajunas and Thug Rose, and then you have Thug Nasty, and it, it, it's weird that dynamic does genuinely just work. <laughs> but yeah, my only concern with Bryce Mitchell, if he's if his stand-up game can really flourish and develop, then everybody at top 10 should be watching out. That is how talented this guy is. To be honest with you, the one person who backs up my concern is actually Brian Ortega. Because he's the one guy who's a real wrestler slash jiu-jitsu practitioner in the top five. And we saw what Holloway did to him. And we've seen how much he has been forced to develop his boxing game and his kickboxing game. Because he's realized he can't just be one-dimensional anymore. You can't just go into jumping guillotines and look for rear naked chokes. You have to be able to withstand these guys and to stand up to them on the feet. And if Bryce Mitchell can learn from Ortega's mistakes so far, because Ortega's still only really young anyway, then Mitchell can really flourish in the top 10. That's the only concern that I'm outlining at the moment, just because I think it's there. But every other way, I think Bryce Mitchell can absolutely take it to the top. And I can't think of anyone else who would argue. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, how fun would the Brian Ortega-Bryce Mitchell fight be down the line and everything like that? But it's got to get through Edson Barbosa first. This was a great podcast, guys. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. As always, make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. You can listen to us everywhere, literally everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA.Island and check out our website, MMAIsland.net. Again, great podcast, guys. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. Hello.